Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Shriver. Here's the question that we've been asking these last several weeks. What do you think God is like? We've been looking at some of the attributes of God in our series called More Than You Think. Pastor Nicole has been digging in and helping us discover that God is more holy, more powerful, and more present than we could ever imagine. Today, we're wrapping up our series, and Pastor Nicole is going to help us see that God is more active in our everyday lives than we've often been willing to credit. We've got some great testimonies to that truth to share today as well. So let's get started. Here's Pastor Nicole. Well, it is our final week in our series called More Than You Think. And what this series is about is what you think about God really matters. What you think about God really matters. Proverbs 4.23 talks about how your life is shaped by your thoughts. Who you are always correlates back to how you think. Who you are always correlates back to how you think. And there are a lot of rumors out there. There's a lot of wrong information about God. In these last few weeks, we looked at some scripture that brought truth to who God is. This series is really important, and it's designed to be shared. Everyone deserves to know the truth about God. Am I right? And some false information or some false version of who God is is not what we want people to understand. We want them to know the truth about God. And so I want to encourage you to share these podcasts and videos to your friends and to your family to get the truth out about God. Now, one of the main tools that we have created for you to use, uh, this series is called a Hope Box, and we have a picture of what's inside of a Hope Box today, but I'd love for you to take one to give to a friend, a family member, a coworker, and invite them to Easter service. If you already took one, and maybe you have someone else in mind, take another one. Uh, We gave one to each of our neighbors. My daughter's took one into her gymnastics coach. Uh, Think about just people that you are exposed to um, all week long, and give them Um, This hope box inside of it is an invitation to our Easter service, which is next week already. Can you believe that? Uh, Nine and 11, same times. We will have kids programming at both services, kids activities. So we hope you come and bring somebody with you. And if you've had good intentions, maybe this whole month, you hear me say it every week and you think, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Let me tell you what, this is the last week. Okay. So turn your good intentions into great action and take one of those boxes on your way out today. There are all the exits and make sure that you get them to the people that need them the most. If you're watching online today and you would like to give a Hope Box out, all you need to do is text Hope Box with no space to 97000 and we will get you one so you can give one to a friend. I'm so excited for you all to distribute hope all over this community and I can't wait for next Sunday. So just give God some thanks in advance of what he's gonna do already. All right, I tell the 9 a.m. service all the time that you guys are the lively crowd, so do not let me down today, okay? (laughs) Because you seem a little asleep, and it's Palm Sunday, and so we are getting excited for Easter. Well, last week, I'll give you something to be excited about. I received an email uh, from a man in Nigeria, and he wanted to give me $14 million. (laughs) And I thought to myself... I could buy a small private island and relocate Erie First Assembly and we could all go together and we could worship in the Caribbean and that's what we would do together. If I had that amount of cash, I could do that and even more. And he said all I needed to do 
was send my bank account number and he would promise to deposit the money. <laughs> if I told you that I actually did that, uh, you would think I'm crazy and question if I was still married, probably. <laughs> and if I knew this man in Nigeria or wherever this email was actually generated, was I knew that he was making an empty promise. And so I wrote it down to put it in my sermon, and I deleted it. <laughs> because I knew that he wasn't really wanting to give me $14 million. However, sometimes empty promises aren't as easy to recognize as this one was. Sometimes we can think or buy into empty promises. We can believe them, and they really turn out empty. And so if we're going to build our lives on promises, we better make sure that they're true. This week, I want to talk about just one promise in the scripture that is life-changing. And if this promise is true, which I believe it is because it comes from the word of God, it shifts almost everything about how we live our lives. So let's read it together. It's found in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this verse explains why as believers in Jesus, we can endure sufferings. We can endure hardships. We can endure not so ideal circumstances with hope for the future. And we can trust the promise that God will work it all together for eternal good. And we can stand on the truth that God is more active than you think. Just like we sang a moment ago, that God is working, right? He is working. He's doing something. It's interesting because the author of this passage, the author of this promise was a guy named Paul who did not have an easy road. Uh, if you know anything about Paul, he was jailed, beaten. He was at death's door many times. He was flogged, pummeled with rocks, shipwrecked three times, immersed in an open, an open sea overnight. Paul knew drudgery. He knew labor. He knew long and lonely, sleepless nights without, without having any peace. And yet he declared this promise from a faithful God, that God works in all things for the good of his people. And God is more active than we could ever even think. So let's take a few moments and look at this promise today as deeply as we can. Let, let's dive as deep as we can into this one verse, into this promise, because I believe that this promise is true all the days of our lives, and God will be faithful to it. Romans 8.28 specifies that this is a promise for all things. No thing is left out of this promise. I think often we think about the faithfulness of God, but we'll say to ourselves, God is so faithful to me uh, in all these things, except my love life. I really need to take that in my own hands. God is so faithful to me, except in my finances. I work hard for those. So I should be able to figure out how, how I'm allowed to use them. I've worked hard for that money. God is so faithful to me in all things except for the part of my life that, that he can't seem to figure out because it's still a mess. But that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying that God's promise is that in all things he will work. In all things he will work for our good. There are two attributes of God that work together that I really believe to unpack this phrase, all things. And the first is that God is transcendent. That God is over all creation. He is independent of, above, and distinct from this universe. He is outside the, the time-space continuum. Exodus 3.14 records a moment when God describes himself as, 
I am who I am. I love that. Moses is like, hey, uh, but who are you? Like, where did you come from? Tell me more about you. And God says, I am who I am. I'm not trying to be tricky, Moses. You don't get it. I didn't come from anybody. Nobody created me. I'm nobody's son. I am God. I exist outside of any, independent of, of any existence. In fact, God does not need us in order to exist. If we weren't here, God would still exist. He is transcendent. He is above all. Now, what happens sometimes is when people begin to, to understand God's transcendence alone, they imagine that he's transcendent as if he makes um, like a clock and he winds it up and he just lets it go. And it's as if he's watching the world and saying, you know, I just, I made all this, I made all this creation, but I'm just going to let it run on its own, uninvolved. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it from above and just let the human race fend for himself, fend for themselves. So the attribute that balances our view of God and gives us a more accurate picture of who he is, is that God is in fact transcendent. He is who he is. He came from nothing. He exists outside of even anything we can comprehend, but God is also imminent. God is also imminent. Imminent means he is actively involved in his creation. He is present. He has his sleeves rolled up. He is not sitting in the corner of the room watching and seeing if you're going to make it through life unscathed. He's standing and walking with you through every moment of your life. The word imminent means remaining in creation. The God of the Bible is no abstract deity. He's not removed or uninterested in his creation. The Bible is the story of God's involvement with his creation and particularly the people in it. When you read the scripture, it talks about and shows you how God was part of all the people's comings and all the people's goings. And that's what he continues to do today. Proverbs 5.21 says, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. Imminence is this picture of God's relationship with us that he cares even about our smallest concerns. Luke 12, 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? I want you to listen to Nicole's story about how God works in all things. For the past year and a half, I was in a job that um, wasn't really fulfilling. So at that point, I just started um, applying to any job that I could <laughs> to get out of that um, because no one likes to be stuck like that. Kind of was in this cycle for six months of applying for jobs and then praying that the Lord would bless it and, um, you know, getting met with rejection and with silence and um, nothing really from those job applications. In the waiting, it can be really difficult to understand and um, realize if God is active because sometimes in the waiting, he's silent. And um, being able to um, humble yourself and realize even if God is silent, even if I have to wait, um, and knowing and trusting that God is still active. You know, it wasn't really until the summer where I had um, really surrendered the uh, my, my will and my desires to the Lord. I, I kind of realized that this was a season that God wanted me to experience and go through and not necessarily he wasn't going to just pluck me out of it. 
my husband and I just started to pray about what's the next steps? What does this look like? God really uh, led us to, um, you know, for me to go back to school. And once we kind of made that decision, it was open door after open door, and it was the easiest process. So even through that rejection and um, kind of that silence, um, God was still using that rejection to guide me and lead me. Going through, you know, um, having the Lord bless my plans, um, it wasn't until the Lord kind of humbled me and um, reminded me that's not really how things go, that I, you know, seek after the Lord and see what He has. Um, and he will guide me, he will lead me. And once I kind of understood that, that peace came and that comfort came and those uh, open doors came when I submitted my own will, my own wishes um, and kind of my stubbornness and um, submitted to his lordship and kind of led me to this um, new season. Romans eight twenty eight reminds us of this promise that not only does he work in all things, but he is always working. God is a tireless worker. He is working for us around the clock. He takes no days off and he does not sleep. If you look carefully at this verse, Paul uses the present tense here. It's not God worked or God will work. It's God works. Sometimes I think we, we read this verse or we quote this verse uh, with the future tense mistakenly. We begin to think at the end of the day, like at the end of my life, God will take all the things that have happened to me and collect them all together and mix it all up and just straighten it out and, and all's well that ends well. But that is true. But that's not what Paul is saying in Romans 8, 28. He is affirming that God is active and in each moment of our lives right now. And it all works for us in the present, not just at the end of the day. That he is working things out right now. And in fact, he's eager to work on your behalf. He goes around and he looks for people who are willing to trust him to work on their behalf. I want to read to you 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It gives us this truth. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Jesus was the main example that the Father used to show this truth. In Mark 10, it says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus works for his followers. He works on their behalf. He serves them. He doesn't have to. He's king. He's Lord. He can do whatever he wants, but he chooses to. He chooses to come and work on your behalf. Paul, the one who wrote this promise uh, at the end of his life, in his last letter, he says this, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. Paul acknowledges Jesus is the worker. Jesus is the great strength giver. If I had to do it on my own, I couldn't accomplish anything. But Jesus is the one working. Jesus is the one giving me strength. And he's not just waiting for you to ask him for help or beg him for help. It, it's not a few magic words you have to figure out what to say so God helps you. He is seeking ways to give you help. No wonder he stays up all night and takes no days off. His great love for you compels him to steer our lives toward divine purpose. Listen, he loves to help you. He loves it. He loves to help you. 
God is not a, a stubborn old man that you're trying to beg to get off his chair to come help you. He loves to help you. He, he loves to come into your world and your concerns and to help you. I was thinking this week, coincidence gets way too much credit. Coincidence, random events, good luck, smart people's advice that you take gets way too much credit, particularly from Christ followers. Coincidence should never get the glory. God did that. God did that. You get the greatest parking spot in front of the grocery store. God did that. It doesn't rain on the day that you have your party planned for three months. Listen, God did that. That wasn't just good luck. That wasn't something that just happened because you're somehow in God's graces today. God did that. And I want to challenge you. Stop giving anything else credit for the glory when we know it's God who is working. And God is more active than we even think. Would you listen to this testimony from Nick about how God is working on your behalf? In 2013, my mom ended up getting sick from breast cancer, uh, having a stroke and a blood aneurysm. And I get a call from my brother uh, saying that she had passed away. And from there, it just turned into a downward spiral for the whole family. Uh, the family that I used to have um, with me every day, it kind of disappeared from my life. Uh, so I was left to do life on my own for the last seven years. And during that time, I went through a huge spiral of uh, depression, anger at God, anger at just everything in life, people around me. I read this verse in Isaiah 43 that says, um, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Uh, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And when I read that, I told myself I need to get right with God again. Uh, so within the last year, I decided to uh, go go to church consistently, go to small groups. From there, I started to see changes in my life and how my attitude was towards God and towards people around me. I told myself as long as I had the church, uh, as that's my family uh, and God, you know, I was going to get through that season in my life. My mindset at the time was filtered through anger and, and depression. And God at the time felt that I needed to go through this season before he could bless me. And then that's when, um, I found I got in contact with my oldest brother, um, which I hadn't talked to in going on eight years. And he told me about this aunt that lived in Florida. I reconnected with her. And from that moment on, it was like a huge blessing that God had given me. People choose to look at the negative aspect of what we're going through in the world. But I feel like if they take time to look around and see what God is doing and has already done, I think they would appreciate what God is doing more than focusing on the negativity. Seeing how how much He loves us and how much He is always there for us, no matter how dark the situation is. If it wasn't for God being in my life, Regardless if I could see him during that season or not, I honestly, 
I don't know how I could have gone through that. There are two, yeah, you can thank God for that. Such a good word. There are two little words in Romans 8, 28 that cannot be ignored. And before we close today, I want to talk about this. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good, the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What does this promise mean when it says all things work together for good? Who gets to define what's good? Who gets to do that? Because for most of us, good equals things like health and happiness and long life and money to spend and Oreo cookies and a nice place to live. In general, we think the good life means a better set of circumstances. We think a good life is an easy life. That's what we would call good. And what seems good to me might not be good for someone else. A farmer may be praying and begging God for rain so his crop can be fruitful. And in the next house over, a young bride might be begging God for no rain so she can have the perfect wedding she always dreamed of. Whose good wins then? Whose good does God accommodate? Well, Romans 8, 29, the next verse, sheds some light on this. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The good that God is working toward through all of our trials and situations is that we are conformed to the image of his son. Whatever it takes for us to become more like him, that's what God declares as good. Whatever it takes. That's how he defines what's good and what's bad. It's the things that will make us more like him. So what will it take for your heart to turn closer to Jesus? What circumstances will, will put you in a position of surrender? What circumstances will put you in a position of dependence on God? Anything that makes you more like Jesus Christ is good. And anything that pulls you away from Jesus or makes you neutral is bad. And so our good and God's good are not always the same. God has made no promise about making you healthy and wealthy and rich once you give your life to Christ, but he is committed to making you like his son, the Lord Jesus. And so whatever it takes to make you more like Jesus, that's what God calls good. In the scripture, one of the most incredible examples of this is the life of Joseph. He was betrayed by his own brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. Joseph was forced to live as a foreigner for about 25 years he rose to a place of prominence, but then was thrown in jail for two years on a wrongful charge. After he was released and restored into leadership, God brought his brothers to Egypt because of a famine, and Joseph had grounds. He had opportunity to destroy his brothers, but instead Joseph responded in love. And he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, he's talking to his brothers. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God's purpose is to make you more like Jesus. That's the good that always wins at the end. And that word conformed means having the same form. So here's a really valuable question to ask yourself. Instead of looking back on the past year and think, well, was it a good year? Was it a year full of pleasure? Was it a year full of things that I wanted? Did I meet the goals that I set? Here's the question. Are you more like Jesus than you were a year ago? 
Because sometimes our years will not be full of things that we determine as good. But if we have been conformed more into the image of Christ, then that is a good year in what the Lord would look at. That's a good year. And I'd be willing to bet that the year of 2020, many of you can look back and, and you can imagine the loss that you experienced, the frustration, the things that maybe caused you to really have a lot of doubt and fear and anxiety. But if you can look back and say, man, I am more like Jesus now, then we can call 2020 good. We can look back and say 2020 was a good year because we are conformed closer to the image of who Jesus is. There's no wasted suffering in our experience. There are no purposeless experience at all in the totality of our life. Every single isolated event, God in his wisdom uses to bring about his purpose for his glory. Watch this very last testimony from Jim and Chris. Our oldest son, Doug, uh, has been living in uh, New York City for the past 10 years now. And about six years ago, he was at an ATM by himself. He had a seizure. He's had a seizure and they've taken him to the hospital. He was doing okay, he was, uh, but they scanned him and then uh, found an aneurysm. And they said the two weren't even related. It's just because mm -hmm. he had a seizure, they scanned him and found this aneurysm that was, mm -hmm. that seemed to be pretty, uh, that they were very nervous about. And they talked about doing an emergency surgery. They held off on the surgery and said, we're just gonna watch it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so they did that for the next six years. And this past year, they uh, said, it's moving, it's growing. We want to get that taken care of. It's still a risky surgery, but it's now it's been six years, so they learned a little more. It's definitely a long day, 10-hour mm -hmm. surgery, uh, trusting God, but still being parents and anxious for your, your child. He came through it great. You know that God works through many different ways. And I think all of us, the whole family, had to get to a point where we just knew that God was going to take care of it. And in the beginning, I think it was all day, every day, giving it to God. And as time went on, for all of us, knew that we could trust him and he was going to take care of it, however that looked in the end. We felt him work and the mm -hmm. fact that... Yeah, there was there was definitely some anxiety, but there was more peace than not, knowing that mm -hmm. God had never let him go, and He's always watching over him, and yeah. and He's always taking care of it. I remember praying when we left the city mm -hmm. uh, the first time we dropped him off, and said, "God, He is safer in Your hands mm -hmm. in New York City yeah. than He is just being in our hands at home." We saw God working and, and basically mm -hmm. answering the prayer that we had made when we first dropped him off there. Our son, Luke, and his wife, Chloe, um, have three kids now with their first pregnancy. Um, little Liam came about three weeks early, and then their second one came about six weeks early. And then third pregnancy, um, little Benson was three months early. So he was born at two pounds, 10 ounces. And so we just all started praying. We just all started believing that this little munchkin was created by God and would be taken care of by God. Mm -hmm. And we just had to believe that. We couldn't question it. Um, I think sometimes in many situations, we let our minds wander and start thinking about the what ifs. And when you're in the middle of a situation like this, you have to focus and just do the best you can to say, Lord, there's no what ifs. Whatever happens is your plan. And so at two pounds, 10 ounces, he was born. No problems, thankfully. He was fully developed. 
he needed to grow and strengthen and get bigger, but he was fully developed. His lungs were developed, everything. He had 10 fingers and 10 toes. And we were just so thankful to God. But it was it was pretty scary that day until she delivered and the doctor said, you know, he looks good. But it was a long two and a half months after that. You see this tiny little baby hooked up to all these monitors and you can say, why Lord? You know, why does this little guy have to start his life out that way? But I'm sure as he grows and develops, um, we will have some of those answers. And now he's a chunky monkey and he's doing really well and he's almost 10 months old and he's still small for his age and it's gonna take him a while to catch up. Mm -hmm. But God is growing him and, and adding to his life every single day. Would you stand up today? God is more active than you even think. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's just finish today's service by worshiping one more time the way maker, the one who is moving, the one who is working. If you need prayer today, I just want to encourage you to come down to the prayer table right over here. A, a member of our prayer team, our pastor would love to pray with you. Let's just worship this out this morning that you are the way maker. for caring about every detail of our lives. Make us more like you. We trust you today. 
It's in your strong name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eeriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.